Welcome to the Scribes of Summer, the Athletics Dodgers podcast. I'm Pedro Mora, joined by Andy McCullough for episode 10. And we have a special guest this time, Ross Stripling. You know him as uh, your favorite swing man. Ross, thank you for joining us. How's it going out there in Houston, Texas? What's up, guys? It's going well. Excited to see uh, two of my favorite media people in the world join together for a podcast. <laughs> this is great. Man, you have nothing to do. You are so bored right now. <laughs> Did you make a power rankings of your favorite reporters? That'd be great. Yeah, I, pa- oh, wow. I power rank everything. Yeah, I just have a power <laughs> ranking note in my phone of just anything I feel like ranking. And the media guys are on there. You guys are you guys are one and one a. No, Gurnick's number one. Come on, <laughs> I like Gurnick because he'll give me he'll give me stock picks every now and then. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Uh, what what uh, so what are you up to right now? Where are you at? Kind of what's your day to day look like at this point? Yeah, good question. You know. Uh, by the time this comes out, I'm not sure what day y'all release podcast, but I just did a day in the life of a, of the striplings for the Dodgers social media account. So, uh, you know, in, in the next 48 hours or so, you can just go watch that and get an idea of what a, a day looks like for me. Um, you know, man, it's the baseball stuff has actually remained pretty similar to an off season just because we're still able to go work out. We're just doing it in smaller groups and we're deep cleaning stuff, Lysol and stuff after we're done, but we're just working out in groups of two or three instead of, you know, seven or eight, like a normal off season. But I've, I've been able to play catch every day. I've been able to get my lifts in. I started throwing off the mound again about two weeks ago, uh, twice a week. So really the, the baseball stuff in the morning feel good about where I'm at physically. You know, if we get a shotgun call saying spring training starts tomorrow, I feel like I'll be as ready as I can be. It's just the rest of the day, man. You know, there's only only so many podcasts I can I can record, so many Netflix shows I can watch and stuff like that, you know. So it's just trying to pass the time. Yeah, and before this, Ross, if if I may speak for you, it felt like in in spring training you were feeling very good about where you were physically and uh you know i was just talking to mark Pryor a week or two ago and he was remarking on you specifically as one of the guys who was disadvantaged by by this in terms of you were just on your 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 velocity was up you you felt good with alternative pitches you had been working on something else right and and, and i guess for this to happen right now for you i imagine you know obviously you're not gonna overstate the impact uh on you compared to everything else in the world but it's just like i imagine it's still hard to process like oh this is i was ready to go and now i'm just sitting here at home yeah yeah for sure you know that's that's definitely the way it was and and humble brag on myself a little bit i've always said i'm kind of a spring training all-american seems like i always come out of the (laughs) gates a little hot you know and i'm just always kind of ready to go in spring training i think that's why i was able to break with the team when i was you know younger and as you know 2016 17 I've always been able to break spring training with the team. And uh, yeah, I was feeling really good. I was working on a new changeup and starting to have some success with it. And curveball was feeling good. Like you said, velocity was up, physically felt great. So definitely, you know, was in a good spot. Obviously, they had already come out and announced the starting five. I wasn't in it, but, um, you know, felt that I was right there on the cusp that if anything, you know, happens to any of those guys where they weren't able to start the season in the rotation, I was going to be the guy that could jump right in there. And uh, do my job as I've done in the past. So yeah, definitely, you know, stinks for everyone. Obviously, we're we're wanting to be thirty something games into our season by now, you know. And instead, we're all spread out across the country waiting for a phone call. So it's certainly strange times. That's a good point about the 2016 thing. I, I hadn't thought about that. That it was sort of unusual in retrospect for someone with that with to make the to make the club and then of course you had that memorable debut but yeah you didn't it wasn't you didn't go into spring training that year thinking it was a lock by any means that you were going to make that roster right that was your no, your, your your entry was was a pretty pretty significant surprise 
that, yeah, that wasn't think, exactly the Dodgers' plan, as I recall. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. You know, it was uh, – I'd already been optioned down, and then Brett Anderson got hurt. Brandon McCarthy got hurt. Uh, you know, other guys, you know, just couldn't fill in. And uh, they're like, who do we even have? And it's like, oh, that stripling kid. All right, yeah, let's throw him out there. <laughs> you know, I think that's kind of how it went. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm curious, you know, you're talking about just like how you were feeling and how, how you weren't in the rotation at all. And, and I know you talked like at the beginning of spring, just kind of about the weird off season of like getting traded sort of, but not actually getting traded. And I'm just wondering, like, if you had been on the angels, right? Like there would have been a very reasonable case that you should be their opening day starter. You've been an all-star. You've been good for, you know, four years in the big leagues. You've always had good results. You strike out a lot of guys. You do the things that a starting pitcher should do. And I'm curious, like how you weigh, like the, the chance for that sort of exposure to be like, you know, the number one or number two or number three in a rotation versus like being kind of in the swingman role for a team that has a legitimate chance to win the World Series, I guess. Yeah, you weigh it, you know, you weigh it hard. And I had five days to really weigh it while I was sitting in limbo <laughs> when that trade was going down, right? <laughs> you know, so definitely making pros and cons lists and all that good stuff. Um, man, it, it just, it was such a win-win for me, really, mm-hmm. when you look back at it, like you're talking, get a chance to go to an Angels team that has an unbelievable lineup, one of the best lineups in baseball, two of maybe the two best hitters in baseball and then a rotation that needs help, a pitching staff that needs help and get a, you know, a chance, like you said, to really jump in there and and make starts and make 30 starts and just kind of be let go for the first time in my career. You know, that, that definitely carries some weight. I'm a 30 year old man, you know, I'm not a 24 year old kid waiting for an opportunity and, and hoping that it comes like, you know, my window theoretically is closing and to get a chance to go make some starts like that is is a big deal at 30 years old versus staying with the team that drafted me who, you know, my best friends in baseball, uh, coaching staff that's invested a lot of equity in me, worked with me since I was young, and uh, a chance to win 100 games a year and compete for a World Series. I mean, how cool is that too, you know? So it, it was definitely a win-win. Obviously, I would like to be let go at some point in my career as far as like just uh, you know, not let let go, like release me or trade me. Let go as in, you know, Breaking let the reins off. Yeah. asks to yeah. be released. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let the rain, you know, yeah, release the reins a little bit. And, sure. you know, in the trade and when it kind of fell through, Andrew and, and Mark and Dave Roberts, you know, were kind of saying, you know, you're going to get a chance to be a starter and, and, you know, really value you and your versatility and all that stuff. But we see you as a starter, you're going to get a chance. And then when we announced Julio as the number four before games even started, and then Alex Wood was basically clearly the number five, and then they announced that, that's kind of when I reflected and just kind of was like, crap, you know, I don't know if I really got a chance to earn that fifth spot this spring. And it might have been a pretty cool opportunity to go, you know, compete for an opening day role for the Angels, kind of like you touched on versus basically looking like I never had a chance to even make the rotation as the Dodgers. So yeah, you weigh that stuff for sure. But at the end of the day, man, I'm, I'm really, really happy with where I'm at. I love being a Dodger. I love competing for world series. You're never going to hear me complain about it, but as I sound like a broken record now, yeah, I would like the reins to come off at some point. Yeah. Well, I imagine it's something that there are a lot of guys 
in the room who can kind of relate to that, you know, guys who maybe aren't getting the number of at-bats that they want or aren't starting as much as they want. And it's sort of like the, um, you know, one of the problem, you know, Dave always calls these high class problems or whatever, when you have so many good players that like guys who are also pretty good, just kind of get pushed to the side and you have to learn to kind of live with that as a team in a way. Yeah. Think about a Kike Hernandez or a Chris Taylor this year, you know, I mean, they were going to just be, just begging for at bats it seems like you know and they're, exactly. they're great players they could you know i bet they could start on 25 plus other teams mm-hmm. and to think of like when were they going to get at bats and start games you know yeah it's it's definitely a high class problem as they say i mean we got a roster full of all-stars so it's you know i'm not the only one in that boat and there's also you know you don't necessarily know that the grass is greener elsewhere you know yeah we can sit here and say i might have been competing for an opening day spot for the angels but who knows i might have done the same hybrid role you know i think there's a lot of value in that and there's teams that value the ability to get a starter to the back end of the bullpen i think that's becoming more and more valuable in baseball and i've proven that i can do that maybe that's what other teams see me as and want me as you know there's Mm -hmm. there's really no telling that i get traded and all of a sudden i'm you know a number three starter trying to throw 180 innings have you ever looked at it ross from a from a uh, quality of life perspective that starters tend to um i mean it 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 just kills your body um if you're if you're throwing you know 200 innings a season not that this team would demand you to throw much more than that or anything like that but have you looked at it as 100 is is more comfortable than 200 i mean 100 being about your I mean, maybe 110 or so being your norm to date? Yeah, we that's certainly even been discussed with coaches, staff, and front office with the Dodgers about me specifically, and it's obviously been in my head as well. I mean, I've, I've you know, kind of fallen apart around the 100 to 120 inning range, right? You know, so it's it's not like you can point to me and be like, that's a 200 inning guy when I've never done it. Um, you know, so yeah, that, I guess that's in your head, but you also want that opportunity and you want to prove that you can do it and, you know, and, and prove that my stuff can play for that length of time and that many innings because I think that it can. But, you know, when you haven't shown that, it's hard for them to agree to let you go do that, right? Agree to say, all right, yeah, you're a 200-inning guy on a team that's basically almost certainly going to make the postseason, right? So why not limit some of those guys back to innings as we've seen, make sure they're ready and healthy and strong for a postseason, I understand all that for sure. And from a quality of life standpoint, yeah. I mean, I'm a guy with a, a bad lower back. I've had kind of almost every issue under the sun. 200 innings is certainly going to just compound all of those. So, yeah, that, that definitely goes through your mind. I have to say, I felt so old when you said you're 30. Um, I mean, I'm 32, <laughs> but I was just like, wait, Ross Stripling's 30 now? Like, gee, you know, where does the time go? Yeah, I was a late bloomer. You know, I was a... Uh, <laughs> I was a uh, senior sign, and then I had a Tommy John in the minor leagues, and then debuted at 26, and now four plus years later, here we are, man. Right. 30. <laughs> How's that going? Crazy. You know what? It's not great. <laughs> 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 no, it, actually, it's 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 fine. I feel mature. I think I need to um, I need to start a family so I can get that dad strength. You know, I, I think yeah, that's, that, what that's, I heard. that's a thing. Yeah. From holding a kid for hours a day and you get those big dad forearms. I think maybe that might be uh, the key to uh, longevity in my career gets to get some dad strength. Doesn't it, doesn't you being 30 and, you know, 
at being at this stage where you're still years away from free agency make you remark on the guys who reach it at 26, 27, the physical development? Like, I mean, like you said, I mean, the different, the gap is just ridiculous in that, like, it's going to take you until 33. And right. it, with the, the 27 guys, it's, it's, it's one of the more remarkable feats, I think, in baseball to be able to reach it at that age. Yeah, man. Right. It's still three full seasons away. I mean, obviously this season's not full, but let's call it three full seasons away from being a free agent. Who knows, you know, what my body and all that stuff's going to look like in three years with that kind of wear and tear, but feel good for now. Feel optimistic that I'll make it there. But yeah, for sure. You know, it, it definitely brings the argument to light about how early you can get into pro ball. You know, if you get an opportunity to make some money in the draft out of high school to where you can live fairly comfortably while you're grinding through those small towns, trying to make the big leagues and you can make it like a Dustin May at 21 years old or mm-hmm. whatever he is, 22 years old. I mean, dude, it, it, Makes a massive difference, right? I mean, you're talking, I mean, you're talking hundred hundred million dollars, maybe. You know, if you yeah. can start your clock. The difference between early. signing a free agent deal at 29 and 33, it's it could be, yeah. you know, it could be. Especially in today's game, right? I mean, mm-hmm. the way we see arbitration system kind of working and free agents and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, man. The you know, if you can sign it, a free agent deal in your 20s, monumentally different. Did were did you have any chance of getting drafted out of high school no no so no, i was terrible <laughs> you barely played <laughs> until walk. your senior year right <laughs> well no yeah. I, I know you didn't play until se- senior year i'm just like but you know you were good enough to like walk on at, at you know at a&m so i'm just like i was just curious if you had any inclination that you might have a chance to get drafted out of high school so i filled out one uh question i think it's like the phillies filled out like one little questionnaire that just i, I guess got mailed to us i don't even know you know, and I remember like going through it with my dad and thinking like, what is this thing? You know, they ask you like, what kind of money will it take to get you to sign? I was like, I have no idea. I think we put like a million and a half dollars on there, you know, like, <laughs> just so ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is awesome. That is so good. Oh. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah. I don't have a follow <laughs> no, up to no. that. That's amazing. <laughs> Not much that is amazing. Um, let's, um, Ross. Let's ask you of the plans that you've heard of, of the plans that have been reported about the, uh, you know, a possible half season, the three quarter season, whatever you want to call it. What do you think is, um, I guess, what what do you favor, and what do you think is like most likely? What do you like if there's going to be a season this year? What do you kind of see when you when you uh, envision it? Sure. Um, I think the one that seems to make the most sense to me would be you play at home, your home stadium, in front of no fans to start off with for sure, and you play your closest teams geographically. You know, whether that's six teams, nine other teams, whatever. We've seen that, you know, three divisions of t- 10 where we're even coming here to Texas to play like the Astros and the Rangers. And, you know, we fly private, so you don't have to deal with airports. Uh, hotels have basically been. 80 to 90% vacant for the last six weeks. You know, they seem like they're probably pretty clean and can, you know, house us and, and, you know, feel safe about it. And then you're not having to do a massive cross country trips. You know, you're just playing your closest teams geographically. I think that makes sense. And you play, you know, enough teams in those divisions where you're not just playing the same teams over and over again, you know, divisions of eight to 10 and, and you get, 100 games in, you know, or 80 games in, whatever it is, that's still plenty where the, you know, cream will rise to the top. The best teams will succeed. You'll 
have playoffs and, and, you know, we'll be able to go and we'll feel good about that as players. I think fans should feel like they will get a good product. It's not us sitting in the stands six feet apart, running out on the field, wearing masks. You know, I, I don't know. That just, that, that first one just seemed so inconceivable to me that, uh, you know, it just never seemed possible. So I, I think the latest one makes the most sense to me. And I think we're supposed to maybe get a proposal this week that probably looks something like that. I don't know. You guys are probably more in the know to me. What do you think? I think it's uh, I think it's fair that yeah. that makes more sense than the other plans. Um, I don't. I, I still. I'm still skeptical of that. That that there aren't going to be cities that have breakouts later this year that are concerns. But I think that the Arizona plan was never. You know, as you said, I think Ross on on your on your podcast that uh, you thought it was a joke when you first heard of it. It's just never was never going to make any okay. sense. It, it it's not really a plausible outcome, and so this does strike me as more credible. I actually think the Arizona plan is more feasible uh, hmm. than this. Um, but I, I don't know. I, from a public health standpoint, I think it's just going to be really challenging to um, protect you guys. I mean, I think that that's, a, you know, I'm, I'm curious, like, you know, this is a, this isn't a, a re, you know, a, a, a very contagious, you know, potentially deadly, disease and i know obviously young healthy people uh you know aren't the the people who are most at risk but like do you feel like nervous at all about just going into an environment like that you know what not really and i know i probably should and maybe that's naive but i just it just seems i mean i've gotten the flu two spring trainings in a row starting i guess 17 and 18 i got the flu and both those spring trainings it knocked me on my butt it was brutal but I survived it. A couple other guys got sick too. We survived it. Um, and this is, you know, theoretically supposed to be a milder version of that, right? So it's not like it's something that hasn't gone through locker rooms before. Obviously, with no vaccination and just kind of the scariness surrounding the word coronavirus and that kind of stuff, you know, yeah. But honestly, I don't think really players, healthy professional athletes in their 20s and 30s are nervous about this disease and you know I apologize if that offends anyone but I think that's kind of our general consensus no I don't think it's offensive um I do think it is it's a little more serious than the flu but I understand kind of where you're coming from I mean you have to um sort of have that mentality I guess to succeed in what you're trying to do for as a profession you know you have to sort of have confidence in yourself and not be basically nervous about external factors in order to be able to perform yeah and the thing is i guess how you know how many guys have to get it again before baseball just gets totally shut down if a guy yeah. does get it what does he do like or is he just self-quarantining for two weeks you know you know i, I know we want those answers and expect yeah. to see that in any kind of proposal of, of you know what the contingencies are if, if players and and guys do start to get sick but as, as far as you know kind of nervous for their lives um, you know, it, to me seems like most guys are not that nervous. Mm -hmm. And the other question, I guess, is if you guys are traveling across the U S even if it's in smaller, you know, smaller stints and keeping localized, you still run the risk of, you know, spreading it to other more vulnerable people who for them, it might be much more than a, a you know, a flu. 
I guess you have to have confidence that Major League Baseball system will limit your guys' access to the rest of the world, right? In that in that way, I mean, it's not the Biodome Arizona plan that we're ta- that, you know was earlier being discussed, but it is sort of you don't expect like if there is a season this year, you don't expect that you're going to be around a lot of people and at, at risk of spreading it. Sure, yeah, that that would you know that's got to be top of the priority list. You know, you're not signing autographs as much as we want to interact with fans and that kind of stuff, and it looks likely that there won't be fans in general, but even if there are, you know, probably no autographs because that, that's the last thing you want is, is to be responsible for getting other people sick and putting their lives at risk, you know. So, yeah, we would definitely expect MLB to, you know, probably have something like that implemented to where we don't have a chance to, you know, get people at risk sick. Do you um, – I guess, like, do you worry about the sort of uh, economic incentives aligning, you know, with ownership and, and worry that they may try and – you know, essentially just claw back even more money because of the lack of gate receipts? Yeah, no doubt. You know, really, money probably makes this decision, right? I mean, it's it's almost 100% going to be a decision based on money. And yeah, the idea that no fans in the seats is obviously a massive decrease in revenue. You know, you're not selling hot dogs, you're not selling $20 beers, you're not selling jerseys, that kind of stuff. And I know that there's no clause or at least I guess I've been told there's no clause in our contracts where fan attendance has anything to do with our salaries. Right. But we've also seems like the emails I get from our union and stuff like that, that the MLB has started implementing stories about saying that, you know, if there's no fans, then mm-hmm. they would probably ask players to take pay cuts. Um, looks like umpires already did get a pay cut. I don't know if those mm-hmm. are intertwined with each other, but yeah, it seems like we're ready probably for the pr- first proposal to have some version of a pay, even though we're already getting prorated, even that prorated salary to be cut. Uh, it seems like we're all ready for that to be part of the first proposal. You are probably one of the few players who <laughs> won't be really affected by that, right? <laughs> yeah. T- turns out I have a, a crystal ball and I knew this was coming the whole time. Yeah. It's uh man, I got lucky with that. You know, I was trying to take advantage of the tax structure of Texas and, uh, you know, by getting the signing bonus up front and, you know, really almost no matter what, I'll get roughly, I guess, 80% or more of my salary almost regardless. So, yeah, certainly personally feel great about that. But, you know, I'm in the fight for everyone to get as much money sure. as they can and, and all that. So, you know, but yeah, as far as personal, <laughs> I can't, you're Russ, not, you're not going to hear yeah. me complain. I was, uh, yeah, I was the in... only guys who are like financially secure are like you and Albert Pujols, I guess. <laughs> yeah. No one else in baseball. Ross, I was like, yeah, it, no like March 20th or something like that. I was just in bed one night th- thinking about like baseball and what the hell was going to happen. And I was just like, Holy shit! That guy. I was. I, and I just thought back to what you in in Texas. You told me that the the arrangement of it. I mean, and how sometimes things just work out for you know people. You get lucky, and uh, I couldn't believe that. Yeah, I mean, you got. You had no idea that this was coming, and it worked out um, wonderfully for you. So congratulations. Yeah, lucky. Lucky is definitely the right way to put it. Wish I could say it was forward thinking and having a gut instinct, but it's just luck. Well, I guess you, the 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 forward thinking was it's. I mean, it's not generally a bad idea to get money up front. So, yeah, I for suppose. sure. Was it one in the two in the hand or one in the hands worth two in the bush? Uh, Is that the phrase? The I don't know. I'm not I a good uh, saying. Yeah, I'm not it means a good like saying guy. one in one in your hands worth more than two of right. unknown. Yeah, 
Right, right. That is right. Um, I, <laughs> I think know, that's a guy. Cook I, Andy I, and I aren't in investments or anything. We don't know. We don't know yeah. that world. Yeah, I know. Uh, I know you can't like speak completely for the union, but just like you know, you've talked to players and you've gotten you know you know kind of how people are feeling. Like if they come to you with a proposal that says like, all right, we're gonna cut salaries even more. Like, yeah, that seems to me it would be a pretty. I guess, like, do you, do you think the union is in a place to basically argue against that in this sort of climate? Good question. Uh, you know, I'm anxious to kind of see how that goes and anxious to see if that first proposal does have something like that, how we, you know, fight back against it. I imagine that, you know, in the world of negotiation, what do they do? They probably say, oh, we're going to cut 50% of your salaries and we come back with no 10%, you know, and then you settle in the middle. But that automatically basically means we're cutting salary. I don't, I don't know. Um, I wish that I did and I wish I was, I was more in the know, but, uh, I'm not really sure how we're going to fight that. I imagine that we will, because like I said, it's not in our contract, but it also, you know, it, it's in our contract where the MLB doesn't have to pay us in the case of natural emergency, national emergency. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, fronted a little bit of our salaries. So that's kind of acting in good faith. So do we kind of do the same? I don't know. So certainly anxious to see what that uh, negotiation looks like. It, it sounds to me like the the discourse on this whole issue is that it's going to depend, a season is going to depend on whether or not it's it's healthy, suitable to our society for it to happen. But you're saying that a good portion of it is going to actually depend, you know, even, even, if, even if it is deemed okay for that to happen, for a season to be played, it, it still will, a, a large part of it is going to depend on you guys actually financially agreeing. And so we could be in a situation where there are potentially other sports, but not baseball. Could you, could you ever see that happening this season? Oh man, I'd like to think no way. I'd like to think that both sides can agree that baseball needs to be played and, and come to an agreement. I mean, uh, you know, you read that the last thing you want to see is billionaires fighting millionaires. You know, it just it, it, when it comes down to money, uh, it just seems in a time like this, you know, put that aside and, and just have pride in the product on the field and go play baseball and, and give people, you know, something to look forward to. And, you know, I mean, think of this Michael Jordan documentary is getting like Super Bowl type numbers, right? I mean, it's, <laughs> yeah, you know, people yeah. just need sports right now. And, and for you know, money to get in the way of that. It just, it, it seems like we could get over that hump and, and make that not an issue. I, I, I know Pedro, you were saying it seems like a large issue. I, I don't know if I would say it is. Okay. I, I think, yeah, we'll fight and we'll negotiate, but I got to think it's not going to be, you know, a nasty negotiation. It'll be, all right, let's get baseball on the field. A nation stands transfixed by a documentary that proves once and for all, Michael Jordan was good at basketball. <laughs> yeah pretty much yeah it's a good show um yeah I, I i think i think you're right just about like i mean the incentives really align for the players and for owners to you know not get into a protracted battle but i am curious to see just how you know like if the if the initial proposal is you know something ridiculous if that does become you know a, a sticking point I, I i don't know i mean there's just so many hurdles you know like it's just i i i am hopeful that they would be able to get a season off the ground. I just see a lot of ways in which it could go sideways. And, you know, most of those concern just the public health aspect. But, you know, it's these I mean, this is a this is a strange thing that is, you know, very difficult to deal with. So I just don't know. Ross, uh, let's uh, let's ask you about if you before you go, let's ask you about your favorite um, activities in this time. I know you said you're you're nearly out of things on Netflix to watch. <laughs> I, I have a um, I do it. I admit I have a question I want to pit you against Andy on. 
Um, oh, no. You're both. Um, you've both been reading uh, the Jack Reacher series, as I understand. Maybe not during the quarantine for you, Ross, but in recent past, I know you have. You're a big reader on, uh, especially on start days. Um, and Andy does not uh, does not care for those books at all. Uh, what? Yeah, yeah, Andy. yeah, yeah. He, he actually had I a vehement I take on. Oh, no. He he, he came like on this it. podcast really saying he, like he absolutely hated it. So yeah, what do you guys got? I really didn't it, like it. Yeah, it was a first try, man. It's you know, it's like like my rookie year. I wasn't very good. I've gotten a lot better. You got you got to keep going, man. You it only gets better. No hitter in your, in your first, first game. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's a bad example. I'm talking talk about the overall <laughs> workload. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I don't, I don't know, man. I mean, I understand. I just like Jack Reacher because he's not um, he's not one of the guys in a bunch of other movies where he's like a spy with all these special gadgets and he gets out of these, you know, no-win situations yet somehow wins. Like, Jack Reacher's just like a dude that never has a weapon. He just fights you with his fists and he doesn't like it right. if you mistreat women and he rides Greyhound buses across the country and just does good deeds. I don't know. I don't I like think, the spy yeah. stuff. I think I was dis so I I was disappointed because I I saw the first Tom Cruise movie I liked it uh, I thought it was I think the the idea behind the character is interesting as you said right like he's like like Lee Child did I think in the intro he's writing about how like he thought it would be cool if there was a one of these heroes who instead of like always like weaseling out of trouble just like beat the shit out of people. Um, which is, you know, a different archetype for that sort of character instead of like a guy who like uses his brain to get out of trouble, but just like a huge man who just beats the shit out of people to get out of his, uh, get out of jams, uh, which is basically who it was. I just didn't, I don't know, like I didn't think it was very well executed, at least the first one, but I, you know, which, which of the series is the best? In my opinion, you messed up by watching the movie first. Cause now when you read the book, you see yeah. Tom Cruise. And I don't see Tom Cruise yeah. when I read those books. And I have heard that Jack Reacher fans really did not care for that casting. Yeah, it, I agree. I, I didn't like it either. And, and I, I agree that the first movie was good. I thought it was, uh, you know, well executed. In my opinion, the mm-hmm. second one I think is terrible. But in general, yeah, the yeah one like sucked. yeah, so <laughs> bad. But yeah, in general, Tom, Tom Cruise is not Jack Reacher, and and you can't read the books thinking that he is. But hey, if they're not for you, they're not for you, man. It's not. Uh... Well, you know, I look. I don't. I didn't want to just have you on here to say I don't like a book you like. But Pedro's, <laughs> you know, he's. You can't trust the media at this point. So are you asking me which one's the best book? Like if I were yeah, to tell which you which of the book series did you read? prefer the most? Yeah. You mean which book in the series? Yes. The last one I didn't uh, care for the uh, 2019 novel. I didn't think was great. Uh, I'm, I'm googling them right now. So let me see. Man, there's so many. There's like 20-something of them. Um, <laughs> what? Gosh, it's hard to even pick. Um, sorry, I'm reading all these. It's, <laughs> it's hard to decipher which one's which. I think the middle ones are the best. So let's say like, I'm looking at them right now. Let's go from The Hard Way, which is 2006, mm-hmm. through through The Affair, which was 2011. I think those are the best. And I would say, let's see, One Shot is really good. That was the first movie. And okay. then um, I really like Bad, it's called Bad Luck and Trouble, 2007 book. It was a good one. I don't know, man. That's a good question. Maybe I need to go back and read them. Okay. Revisit. Okay. What do you, I'm uh, like, I'm, you know, do you, you have got a lot of time? I may keep going. <laughs> 
It doesn't sound like it. it, it I really do not expect that to happen based on what he said about the first one. Uh, Ross, do you have any book recommendations for us or any any entertainment recommendations? Sure. Um, so I just crew. I think I told Andy on Twitter. I cruised through uh, Dennis Lehane. Dennis Lehane. Yeah. That's that's right. Okay. So those are all the Boston. Um, you know, that's Shutter Island, Mystic River, Gone Baby Gone, Beer Before yeah. the War. Uh, those were great. I like them. They're all kind of similar, and you know what you're getting because most of them are movies and movies that you've probably seen. Uh, those are really good. Um, now I'm cruising through. Uh, her name is Ruth Ware. She's a kind of a fiction thriller. She wrote uh, Turn of the Key, The Woman in Cabin 10, uh, Death of Mrs. Westaway. Those are really good. That's the kind of stuff I read. I read fiction, thrillers, horror stuff, Stephen King. Um, can't go wrong with those. And I stick to bestsellers. You just know they're going to be good. And then as far as entertainment, let's see. We did we did Ozark, which oh. is great. We did Little Fires Everywhere, which is solid. Um, we did The Morning Show on Apple TV, which we thought was really good. Definitely an intense, kind of a heavy drama, but it's good. Uh, Tiger King, obviously, got to watch it. Or else you just can't keep up with the memes on social media. Um, we puzzled. Gosh, we've done four or five puzzles. We've yeah, we've anything you can do, man. My wife and I, we do at least a walk a day. Everyone's dogs are probably in the best shape of their lives. <laughs> They're just going on unlimited walks. Um, yeah, but we're you know we're hanging in there. What have you guys been doing? Less than that it sounds like. Yeah, I. <laughs> <laughs> well, you came and hung out with me for a day, Pedro. You know I'm a yeah, a busybody. I uh, yeah. If I, if I'm on the couch for an hour, I start to lose my mind. I'm watching Ozark. Uh, I like it. Um, I feel I'm like midway through the first season. It definitely. There are times when I'm watching it where I'm like, didn't I see this in Breaking Bad? But it's uh, it's good. Like I, I like the Jason Bateman character. Laura Linney is really good. Um, you know, it's kind of creepy and interesting. Uh, it definitely has that that House of Cards feel that it was like made from an algorithm. Um, but it's still uh, it's still enjoyable. I, I would recommend it. I've compared it to House of Cards a lot because, mm-hmm. as you'll see, it it gets to the point where it's kind of like, uh, and House of Cards was like this, where it was like okay, we need something. Okay, we're either just going to go bribe someone or threaten them and we're going to get it. And that's just mm-hmm. like every episode. It's like, what do we need? Okay, let's go threaten somebody and we're going to get it. Next episode. What do we need? All right, let's just go kill someone and we're going to get it. <laughs> like, it's just, that's the, yeah. that's kind of the, you know, it's, it gets very unrealistic, but it is good. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I, I, I enjoy it. I don't know. I'm rewatching The Wire. Yeah, too, I, we, we're both doing that, Ross, and we recommend that wholeheartedly. Oh, yeah, The Wire is great. I'm appreciating sure. it more now. Anything, man, really anything HBO, I'm rarely disappointed. I tried Westworld. Have you seen Westworld? <laughs> okay, yeah. Yeah, that's funny that you go, okay, yeah, so I have been disappointed by HBO. <laughs> well, that's just like, in, it, it's like Inception to me. It's almost like they're just trying to confuse you yeah. so much that you're just like, all right, I don't get it. <laughs> and then I they watched just like seven episodes twist. and I was just like, I don't know what's going on. I don't particularly care uh i like ed harris and everyone else is boring like I, yeah i don't know i, I yeah. think you, are you are you genuinely or not genuinely are you typically hard to please andy uh, i mean <laughs> i mean maybe he has high yeah, standards I we like i guess yeah, i'm probably yeah like what's your what's like your top movie and top show 
Uh, I mean, I like the things I like. I mean, I like The Wire. I like, uh, you know, I loved Breaking Bad. Uh, you know, with movies, it's like super bad. It's probably my favorite movie. <laughs> Couldn't be more different there. <laughs> yeah, so I just, I like the things I like. I mean, I don't know. I I, uh, I do, I probably, you know, I have a high barrier to entry. Like, it's hard for me to get into a show. I, I think, and I don't think that's really the show's fault. Like, I just... There are so many shows that I've tried to watch and watch the first like twenty minutes and just kind of like punted on it, I guess. So have you ever tried uh, that's probably uh, more just like on HBO? I do not lo- I do not oh, care like for that, that show. I like that sucker. Okay. That's uh, a good one. Yeah. Yeah, man. It's it's a, it, I mean it's 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 like playing with your emotions. It's sort of I've watched a couple episodes of that uh that network uh drama This Is Us, uh which tugs on your heartstrings and I feel like uh the newsroom is kinda like yeah. that, you know? It's um it's Sorkin just playing with you. Um but you gotta lean, lean into it and uh just enjoy the uh just enjoy being played with, I guess. It's like Yeah, I tell you what, I'm gonna I'm gonna spend the rest of my day just coming up with Rex for Andy. Okay. And just see and <laughs> all over the map and just see what and then maybe, hits maybe and what we'll review them i'm interested now because yeah. when you when you say your favorite things are the wire and super bad i mean it doesn't get much different than that so Ross, you know what we liked uh, we actually did a podcast about this you i wonder if you've seen this movie the it's a it's sort of a baseball flick everybody wants some by richard linklater oh man it sounds familiar let me google it real quick everybody wants some oh yeah the yeah it is a baseball movie like yeah. 80s yeah. Kind of frat guy yeah. baseball movie. Yeah, I watched it on a plane one time. Yeah, I liked it. Oh, man. That movie rocks. Yeah, I thought it was great. Did it feel true to life to you? A little bit, yeah. For sure. <laughs> I need to rewatch it. It's been a while. But yeah, I, I think it's... I mean, as a, I as, remember, a, as a man who attended college in Texas and played baseball, I feel like you're, you're yeah. qualified. Yeah. You know, it definitely hypes up the kind of the frat guy, you know, you wake up and you just drink beer. That's not really how it was, but... Uh, I, I, as far as like a college baseball movie, I thought, it, you know, I thought it was pretty on par. Let me, uh, I, I'm actually, I, I, I kind of want to explore this territory a little bit, actually, if you have some time, cause I think that's kind of interesting. Um, I remember one time I was talking to Ike Davis, uh, about something and we were talking about, uh, Facebook or whatever. And he and I, we both, uh, like graduated high school in 05. And so we're the same age and, and we were talking about kind of the early advent of Facebook and uh, I was telling him how, like, when I was a freshman at college, you know, the thing we would do on our floor was we would, like, look through, like, posted events to find out where all the parties were. And I was asking him if he did something similar. And he just looked at me and was like, no, I was on the baseball team. Uh, and so I was just curious <laughs> if, like, socially it was relatively easy for you, uh, like, when you walked on or, like, how if how your experience was a little different than the – than the average students because you're you weren't aren't exactly like the fit the norm of like you know whatever like a you know big time prospect at a high school that type of stuff yeah good question uh you know what i've never really thought about it so let me think i guess you know you're you're instantly a part of kind of your own version of of a fraternity right so you're getting hazed a little bit by the older guys on the team but you're also getting invited to the social events so you know, you're, you're definitely instantly in kind of an in crowd that, you know, people want to be a part of. So you're not fighting for friends and that kind of stuff, which helps a lot. But at the same time, I was a walk on. So I didn't feel like I was, you know, as uh, what's the word as loved as I don't know. That's not the right word as <laughs> as respected. Yeah, there we go. Like as respected, or, you know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. By like, the, you know, I remember, um, 
you know, a lot of those guys already knew each other because they played travel ball against each other and, and, and were on Team USA and all that stuff. And I remember kind of trying to fight to fit in, feeling a little cliquish, like high schoolish, trying to sit with the cool kids at lunch. Mm-hmm. Uh, There's definitely a part of that as part of being the walk on. But really, um, you know, one, that's a couple weeks tops and then you're part of the team and, and you're good to go. So, yeah, certainly no complaints. <laughs> That is interesting that you kind of like, you know, you, you want that, like, how did you, was it the sort of thing is once you made the team that they were like, okay, like, you know, strips a part of it or like, how does that process work? Yeah, it was, it, it was, yeah, it was like that. It was, um, gosh, let me think very much feeling like every time I took the mound, I was fighting for my job, fighting to make the team, um, mm-hmm. you know, fighting to prove that I'm not just a, a body. Cause a lot of times when through my career, when we would take someone as a walk-on, it would be just to cover some innings in the fall. It was usually maybe a catcher and a pitcher or two, cover some innings, kind of get beat up, and then they usually get cut over Christmas break. And I remember hearing that that's the way it was and just feeling like I was fighting my tail off to not be that guy and mm-hmm. and went home for Christmas break thinking it was basically 50-50 whether I had a job when I got back and had a job mm-hmm. – and, uh, and that's kind of where you first, at least baseball wise, felt like I belonged. You, you were, I was, you know, I lived, we lived in a dorm. So I was always around the players, my age, my, you know, my recruiting class. So I was really good friends with them. And that was never an issue. Mm-hmm. I knew that I was their buddy, but as far as like hanging with them on the baseball field, it wasn't until that next semester, once you get back from Christmas break, that I actually felt like I belonged on the team. And you were, um, I think, I think Ross was probably a little bit more of a student than the, uh, than the subjects of everybody wants some, right? You mean you have a college degree those in the movie that about one, one minute of the, of the, no, not even anything. Does anything take place in the classroom? He's about to go to the classroom. It's just they the weekend before school. Yeah. 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 I'm imagining Ross as the Jay Niles character played by uh, Houston street's brother. <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna have to rewatch the movie to get that joke but it was a good one yep i'm typing it in on google once again i'm just googling stuff <laughs> yeah send us some recommendations and we'll and we'll do an episode where, where we review whatever you uh you ask us to, to watch okay. perfect <laughs> ross stripling's culture corner yeah i like that <laughs> there you go cool this was fun um thank you ross for joining us um i hope we uh we can see you in person at some point this year that would be nice. Yeah, let's plan on it one way or another. If there's baseball. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, thanks Sounds guys good. for having me. It's a lot of Thank fun. Thank you guys for, for tuning in. It. Yeah. Yeah. We can uh, we'll be back again next week and until then subscribe at theathletic.com/dodgerpod. Thanks guys.